So here's why that's a bad idea. So you you might think to yourself, okay, like I've got a high altitude race coming up. I'm training for Leadville. I'm training for, I don't know, Wreck Epic or whatever. Like I should buy one of these elevation training masks and ride with it. And uh, that'll get me ready. The thing about acclimating to altitude is you need to spend so much time at altitude in order to make those adaptations. They're even showing that like these these altitude tents where you sleep in them for eight hours a night, they're even suggesting that eight hours is not enough time. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Matchbox Podcast, Powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and today we're answering a couple listener questions on how to fuel short workouts and whether breath training is beneficial for improving VO2 max. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. If you haven't yet tried any of their endurance sports-specific formulated nutrition products, then head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IGNITIONPODCAST for 10% off your next order. They now offer unflavored, low- and high-sodium formulas of their high-carb drink mix so you can dial in your specific electrolyte needs. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, send those to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title, The Matchbox Podcast, or head over to Instagram and send us a DM. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so we are back. Episode two of the Listener Questions series, and we've got a, a good one to start off with. So this one comes from Ben H., who is a math teacher, uh, and he's talking about fueling short workouts versus races. Uh, so he says, hey, hey, Ignition Crew, love the nutrition podcast with Flow Formula's Caleb Reese. I'm curious about what you guys do and or recommend for your training rides. Do you use the exact same products and strategies that you do for your racing? Are there rides that are too short that you would not feel for? For example, now that it's trainer season season in Michigan, I do most of my rides on the trainer in the morning before work. Would you recommend something different for, say, an hour ride versus that same ride that's an hour and a half long or more? Could slash should some of it be fasted riding <clears throat> if you're able to stay in zone two? Any thoughts or recommendations are appreciated. Thanks for the podcast. Right, uh, that's, that's a long one to unpack. That was a good question. Yeah. Should we address the, the fasted aspect first? Uh, sure. So, um, yeah. So fasted training, uh, the research on fasted training is like very mixed, I would say. Um, you know, I, I feel like I feel like fasted training was getting a lot more hype like three or four years ago for whatever reason. Like for for whatever reason, I, a couple of years ago, people were like really looking into fasted training. And now I feel like that's died down. Uh, it could be wrong, but... Uh, I would say that the research on it is not that strong. And um, if you're just riding on the trainer for an hour at zone two, it's probably not that big a deal to do it fasted because it's not like you need like the most topped off glycogen stores to do an hour long zone two workout. But I would never, ever do any sort of intensity fasted. I would always make sure that you're well fed for any sort of intensity workout. Um, no matter the duration. Yeah, we need Robert Stroka on here. We had a good chat with fellow ignition coach Robert Stroka the other day, and he's in the lab using the metabolic cart. And he said, you know, people hit that crossover way sooner at a much lower heart rate than they typically expect. Um, yeah, and and that crossover point is going to change based on whether or not you're fasted or well fed with carbohydrates. But like, but 
but still the crossover point is lower than people think it is. And if you don't know what we're talking about crossover point, the crossover point at which you start using more, uh, carbs for fuel as opposed to fat for fuel, the intensity at which that happens. Um, so th- there's a little bit of research that suggests that maybe if you were to do your high intensity workouts, well fed, and then your low intensity workouts fasted, that might have some sort of benefit, but it's here's, here's my personal experience with fasted training is that I, will do a fasted ride and then I'm so hungry that I could like, I literally have to spend the next two hours eating. I'm just, I'm like one of these people that has to eat breakfast in the morning. And if I skip breakfast and I ride, it's like, I'm just, I've never been more hungry. (laughs) Um, Not everyone's like that. A lot of people prefer to exercise fasted in the morning. If you're one of those people, maybe it'll work for you, but I would not do your intensity rides fasted. Here's a question about the the zone two fasted ride. I usually, yeah, I'm like you. I have to eat food before a ride, but uh, but sometimes I will do like a four hour ride, and I just won't eat anything during the ride. So I don't like hour one. I'm not hungry, but hours like three and four, I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. But since I'm already out riding and I'm just doing zone two, I'm like I could I could I could struggle through two hours of being kind of hungry and just go in zone two, but is there any benefit to doing that? Or should I, if I'm not fasted at the beginning of the ride, are there any benefits of me doing half the ride kind of hungry or what? So you're saying you'll ride for four hours without eating anything. Yeah. Wow. That's, and I uh, can get through that like pretty like smoothly. I mean, like I don't bonk yeah, I mean, because sure. I'm going not hard. It's just an endurance ride. And yeah. I've always thought like, well, I'm not doing a fasted ride, but I just won't eat. And maybe I'll get a little bit of the effect of a fasted ride. Without all of the, uh, agony but, but the of events hunger. that you're training for are primarily like 90 minutes or less. Yeah, I don't yeah. see. Here's the thing about the events that you're training for you being super good at preserving your glycogen is not that important for the races that you're right. doing. You know okay. what I mean? Like, like, I mean, I've thought like if I could, then it, if I could, yeah, that's my thinking is if I could, if I could lower that crossover point. And so when I'm just sitting in the pack during a crit, I'm burning a f- just slightly less carbs than I normally would because I am a little bit more, I don't know, fat adapted or whatever. Sure. Um, I have like, that would be beneficial. So if it's not that hard for me to just not eat on four hour rides, the, the, long, the longest crit that you do, how long does it take to do it? Like two hours. Yeah. I mean, dude. And are you like, ever sitting in like anywhere even below tempo? I mean, like, nah, yeah. y- your heart rate's probably like, yeah. It's over tempo the whole so time. So I the the athletes that should start to think about this fat even, adaptation thing where they yeah, you know they need a they need to be conserving their glycogen stores are athletes that are racing for five over five hours is what I would say. Right. But so what I'm asking is I'm not I know that I'm gonna be burning more carbs to fat. Yeah. Uh, what I'm saying is instead of like if I'm sitting at threshold heart rate in the group and I'm burning 80% carbs. If I'm just a little bit more fat adapted, well, then maybe that drops to 75 instead of 80. I'm still burning sure. the majority yeah. of carbs, but just that ratio is a little bit more skewed. So to less carbs. So this is what I, this is what I say to people who make this argument to me when they talk about being in a ketogenic state. So like they make the same argument. They're like, Oh yeah. So, you know, 
I can get through a race and uh, only, you know, I only, I don't even need to eat gels during a race. I can just do a five hour race without eating anything. And I'm like, and so that's kind of the extreme of what you're telling me, right? You're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, instead of being at 80%, I'm at 75%, you know, it's, it's like, okay, that's all well and good, I guess. But like, let's but get back, matter. let's get back to the original question will that actually help you go faster and the research i don't i don't think the research suggests that it does uh yeah and and it's you know what i mean like that's ultimately what we care about we care about going faster and i don't i don't know that being like if if running out of glycogen is not a concern for you at all in your race i don't know that like using slightly more fat than carbohydrates is actually helping you yeah, I if guess what I'm sense. starting to think is like, I'm not worried about, yeah, I wonder if there's like fatigue related um, sensations to, yeah, to that. Yeah, no, there you know are, I mean? there are. When you, like the lower you get in, the lower your glycogen store gets, the more fatigued your body is going <laughs> to make you feel, right? And, speci- you know, to, to bring it like very specific to what I'm thinking about is I'm thinking if I can, if I can, right, decrease that ratio just a hair throughout the 100 and let's say it's an hour and a half crit for 80 minutes. Yeah. For 80 minutes I'm there, mm-hmm. but in the last 10 minutes is when you're going like, usually that's when your heart rate is the highest is the last 10 minutes of a crit. Sure. So if, so if for the 80 minutes before that I'm operating at a little bit lower on that crossover point, um, maybe that would optimize that last 10 minutes but, when but I it's, really but do. It's mainly relevant if you can't, if you can't fuel during those 80 minutes, but if you can, then it, yeah. it sort of doesn't really matter because you're, you're yeah. not depleting your glycogen right. stores. Yeah. Yeah. All that I much. definitely fuel. And I do, I think right. I do a pretty good job at that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think another thing that you got to take into account is that you, if, if you're trying to maximize the amount of carbohydrates, your body can handle uh, per hour in racing. You need to, you need to train your gut to do that in training. And if you are constantly doing fasted rides, you're actually kind of training your gut to do the opposite. Like Mm -hmm. people in a ketogenic state actually utilize less carbohydrates when they have to utilize carbohydrates, say in a race, right? Cause, cause there's this question of like, okay, well, what if I live my life in a ketogenic state and then I race with carbohydrates? It's going to be the best of both worlds, right? Cause I'm keto adapted and I'm using carbs. And it turns out it's not, that's not the case because you've actually trained, trained your body to not utilize carbs as efficiently. So then you get to race day and you've got to utilize carbs and you can't utilize them as efficiently. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like the, the keto thing was big in Ironman triathlon a few years ago. Like, you know, Dylan, when you're talking about like fast training, it's like that kind of hitting its peak, you know, three, five years ago. And I think part of the, part of the argument there was for the first 90 to 120 minutes of their race, they weren't able to fuel at all. So like during the swim, like you're really not able to yeah. fuel. So, so part yeah, of the thing there, it's also hard to fuel during a run and during the run. So like really, yeah. so like it, it was, it was more of like an inability to fuel that was fueling their desire to get, get in this ketogenic state. Um, mm-hmm. But if you've seen the progression of Ironman triathlon in the last two years, even it's like, it's like astronomical how much improvement has taken place, especially at the, the elite level. Um, and, and they're, they're paying all of the, the progress to uh, in, improvements in fueling. Um, and they're like training their guts to like be able to take in like upwards of 200 grams of carbs an hour on the bike 
basically to pull them out of the deficit they've they've created in the swim and then to sort of set them out set them up for um preloading for the run because they're not able to get as much on the run but it's crazy like how much gut training they had to do in order to, to get to that point um but that's like so much different than like drew what you're talking about because like you actually have the ability to to take in uh, nutrition during those first 80 minutes oh yeah yeah for sure um i guess okay. i'm just trying to think of like <laughs> optimizing optimizing my finish game you know sure having yeah, I mean, more having more basically having more carbs in the tank so that when I finish and I really need those carbs, they're there. But if I'm fueling it, then yeah, I yeah. think that that's, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Should we, should we get to the other parts of this guy's question? Yeah. So, so let's go back to, <laughs> let's go back to Ben's question. initially. Oh, so, so he's asking, do we use the same fueling strategy for short workouts, training workouts as, as we do in our, our races? Um, so, what I'll say is that I, I, I'll generally, I, I practice my race nutrition strategy in training, meaning that I'll try to take in as many carbohydrates as I would in a race. And I'll use the products that I plan to use in a race. So that would be like flow formulas and gels in my bottle in the ratios that I plan to use them in a race. Um, part of that is to make sure that it works. Part of that is to train my gut. Um, and the days that I generally do that on are, I don't, I don't do it every time I ride by any means, but the days that I generally do that on is like the month to month to month and a half before whatever race I'm training for. And during either the high intensity workouts or the super long workouts. And sometimes since I'm training for races that are long, sometimes those long workouts are also the high intensity workouts and that's like the perfect day to do it um if it's a long high intensity day and i'm trying to test my nutrition anyway i'll test it then if it's a shorter ride though like if i was doing an hour at zone two i probably would just drink straight water honestly uh if we're getting to two hours that's probably the point at which i'd start taking calories in and usually if it's just a chill zone two day that's not that long uh Sometimes I do drink mix, but honestly, most of the time I'll just take like a granola bar with me, which yeah. is not something I would do. In a yeah. Race. So, so, in, and to go back to your, you know, talking about the one hour zone two ride, um, you know, I mean, you could even say for any, any rides that are an hour or less, that's, that's the, with the assumption that you've preloaded your fuel, like you, you've ate something beforehand. You're not going sure. into that ride fasted. So like, I mean, for, I don't, for, I don't do fasted rides. So right. Yeah. Right. So for Ben here, like he says that it's trainer season and he does most of his rides in the morning, but he's also a yeah. math teacher. So I'm guessing he's doing his rides pretty early in the morning. So right. if he's not, a, if he doesn't want to get up at 3 a.m. to fuel for his 4:30 workout, you know, if you're just doing a, a zone two ride, you know, in, of, you know, 90 minutes or less, you can start that fueling process while you're on the bike, you know, so yeah. maybe you will yeah. eat a little bit more at, you know, during, during one of those shorter rides, but that's because you haven't, preloaded your fueling so you're you, you know you're you're starting in a deficit yeah i would yeah. say i mean if he has I mean, I would or something say, in the morning i'd say like eat a banana as soon as you wake up and then mm-hmm. you've got maybe 15 or 20 minutes before you're on the actual bike sure that's a little bit of digestion and then and then you'd be like taking in some carbs during that workout but if it's just zone two then yeah you could you could basically be eating breakfast and riding zone two mm-hmm. what were you yeah. gonna say caitlin yeah, that's basically what I was going to say. As you're getting kitted up in the morning, eat a banana, eat a Cliff Bar. Yeah, just get that's a good call. Um, I was going to say back to the do you uh, the strat do you use the same race strategy when you're training? And this is um, 
very practical. Um, and, and Adam's done the math on this. If you were to use your race strategy with a bag of flow, so three scoops, uh, you'd only be able to fill like, I don't know, a dozen bottles uh, mm-hmm. with flow per a whole bag. I think it's so 10. it does, it does get to be kind of pricey. Um, if you're paying full price for flow products, which if you're listening to this podcast, you don't have to, cause we have a promo <laughs> code and Adam will tell you that promo code. <laughs> uh, and if you're you don't an ignition, remember the promo code off the top of your head, ignition podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There it It'd is. In the show and notes too. 10%. But, and even better if you're an ignition athlete and I'm not going to share this promo code because <laughs> you get it when you sign up, you get 25% off of flow. So boom. And you get some free samples when you sign up. Anyways, back to the question at hand. It does get kind of pricey, even with a 10% discount. If you're putting 90 grams of carbs or three scoops of flow into every one of your bottles. Um, so don't tell Caleb this, but on my like zone <laughs> okay. two, on my zone two rides, <laughs> I will just put Gatorade mix in my bottles. Mm. Yeah, because it's cheap. Like strictly yeah. just practical. I don't want to spend a bunch of money and on the zone And two you can ride. digest that just fine? I'm not putting like one scoop. I put one scoop of Gatorade mix or maybe a scoop and a half. So it's not near as many carbs. It's like 40 grams of carbs per bottle. So the ratio isn't like as important, right? You're, you're if you're gut, not like doing 90 grams. Your gut works a lot better when you're at lower intensities. Honestly, yeah. like in a zone two ride, I feel like I could stop and like eat a sandwich at a, yeah. del- at a deli. Yeah, or and I eat more solid going. food. Yeah, I eat more solid food on zone two rides. But usually I'll start with Gatorade in my bottles, stop and fill them up with water. But I'm, And I'm taking in like solid food throughout the ride as well. Yeah. That's just practical. But I would say to Dylan's <laughs> point, I do use flow in the workouts that resemble my racing. Cause I think that's basically what Dylan said in the workouts that resemble the closest thing to what I would be feeling during a race. I use flow for those. Cause I want, I want the exact, I want the exact what I would be intaking during the intensity and the nutrition strategy of a race. So my body is just really used to that so that during a race, it's nothing new. Yeah. I don't use the exact same products, but similar in that I race with Martin gels and drink mix. But if I'm doing a race-like intensity and training, then I'll use hammer gels and scratch. Just because so, hammer's so much cheaper than cheaper. Martin. Yeah. <laughs> Get the big jug and then fill the little reusable. So why do you gel use flask. why do you use the Martin for racing then? Because it's flavorless. You don't get the flavor fatigue. Also, and um, also, it, just, it works really well for me. Martin Martin actually has the right ratio yeah. of uh, maltodextrin to fructose. Uh, Hammer is one of the, I don't think Hammer has actually caught up with the nutrition current nutrition science, honestly. Yeah, but but the the, the name of their company is Hammer. And so <laughs> they don't need to. Like that they, they have such a cool name that they it doesn't even matter about the science at that point. In in the the Martin gels are like the hydrogels too, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to take in water with those. Yeah. Which that that does make it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're trying to hit that like 90 to 100 grams of carbs an hour. If you can do that with gels and not have to carry two extra water bottles to supplement, like that's yeah. That's kind of huge for racing. You I need to just, SIS. You need, I don't like you need to hit up much. Martin and see if see if they'll throw some <laughs> bones your way. Yeah, they sponsor like Elliot Kipchoge. I I thought their whole thing was they don't sponsor anyone, but like the most elite athletes just use their product without being sponsored. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's a flex. (laughs) 
even <laughs> even even Kipchoge pays for our products. That is a flex. I I'm I sure doubt he doesn't, but someone does yeah, for him. <laughs> I I doubt Kipchoge pays for anything, but yeah, pays for it with his strides. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Who's the other guy that's won UTMB? Killian Journey. He uses Mark products. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, did we answer that question? Yeah, I think so. so okay. Um, okay. So the next one is on VO2 max training via breath training. This one comes from Kenny Pike. Uh, mm, so is it- Kenny P, your rival. <laughs> yes, my homie. Um, so he says, is it benefit- beneficial to do breath holding work off the bike? Say right when you wake up or right before bed. <laughs> Training holding your breath for longer and longer periods of time seems like it would build some level of systemic anaerobic adaptation. And if not physiological, perhaps mental toughness, because you're essentially training your your brain to remain calm under stressful conditions. How about holding your breath during certain types of interval workouts? Maybe not anaerobic or VO2 max, but at lower intensity, like zone one or zone two. I feel like we're not qualified to answer this question. Well, I, I, I can, I can, <laughs> I can theorize about this. Yeah, we could theorize, but I feel like, <laughs> well, I could educate, well, I could make so, a more so educated theory than let's, yeah. I feel like. Me. Let's make one disclaimer. <laughs> we're, we're not going to recommend anyone try to hold their breath while they're riding their bike. That is what I okay, was getting so, at. Yes. So let, let, let's <laughs> get to, let's get really to this. To say. Let's get to this idea of holding your breath while riding your bike. And I'll let you know why it's a terrible idea. First um, of all, everybody close their eyes and imagine that scene from Hot Rod when the, all of his friends are like... <laughs> Holding him under the water because he has to harness the power of the blue-nosed dolphin. And then what? he's going to... What are you the, talking about? You guys have never seen Hot Rod? Dude, I bet you like, oh my I bet you like 10% of our listeners has, have watched this. Everybody video. needs to... Adam's going to put the link to this this video clip in the show notes as well. It's so good. It's like he's trying to harness the 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 all these power animals, and there's like six of them, and one of them is like a dolphin. So he's going to try to hold his breath for as long as possible, and he's got and his friends are going to hold him under the water until he rings the bell, mm-hmm. and like. Literally five seconds in, he's already trying to ring the bell, but the the ring the the, the rope snaps. <laughs> so, so his friends just hold him there until he passes out, and then you just see him floating in the water. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Yeah, no, don't do that. We're we're not yes, recommending anyone don't do, that. do that. Right, right. <laughs> all right. So here's why all of that is a bad idea. So I, I have you guys may have heard of these like elevation training masks. Yeah. Like these masks you put on that restrict, restrict the amount of air, air that you can get in to your... So if you're restricting the amount of air you can get in, you're also restricting the amount of oxygen that you can get in. So it's supposed to simulate exercising at high altitude. Hey, we've all walked past these in Dick's Sporting Goods and thought, maybe that's a good idea. No, I I've never done that. I, I never thought it was a good idea ever. And I have. <laughs> I almost bought it. But I thought that was different than the little breath trainer that Nino Scherter induces or uh, endorses. endorses. Yeah, yeah, that, that is di- It is different. It is Because different. that's like training your lung not your lung capacity but we talked about we talked about so this I'll, I'll the- i can i, theori- I can i can actually talking. theorize about both of them all yeah, right let's talk let's about the, the, honestly let, let elevation finish elevation Sorry. training masks i don't need to theorize about this is like just what it is um so here's why that's a bad idea like so you you might think to yourself okay like i've got a high altitude race coming up i'm training for leadville i'm training for i don't know wreck epic 
or whatever. Uh, like I should buy one of these elevation training masks and ride with it. And uh, that'll get me ready. The thing about acclimating to altitude is you need to spend so much time uh, at altitude in order to make those adaptations. Like they're, they're even saying, they're even showing that like these, these altitude tents where you sleep in them for eight hours a night, they're even suggesting that eight hours is not enough time. Like you need to, they're saying that in order for these altitude tents to be effective, you need to spend like 12 to 14 hours a day inside these altitude tents. And then maybe they work. It's not certain. It's like, and then maybe they work. And when you, when the actually the most effective way to train for altitude and to increase red, red blood cell production, which could theoretically improve performance at sea level too, if you're trying to use this elevation training mask to improve your sea level performance, the best way to do that is actually to live high and train low. So you would live at high altitude. And the only time you want to be at low altitude is when you're exercising so so if you buy one of those masks just wear the mask all the time but then take it off during your training (laughs) i guess you i guess you could try that i guess you could try that but like yeah i mean there's also a question of whether or not restricting what's the the amount of time period you have to do that for also like three weeks so like yeah i mean are you literally gonna wear this mask three weeks non-stop Wear it twenty hours a day yes. for three weeks. We wore masks <laughs> also, for a whole year. Also, I will say that there, different? they, you know, there may be a difference between, um, like the 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 partial pressure of of oxygen changing as you increase your altitude and actually ha- physically being able to breathe less air. Like those those may those may induce different physiological adaptations. Mm. All right, so that's the altitude training mask. Let's get to this idea of like breath training, holding your breath, using one of these like breath things that apparently Nino Scherter used. Basically, like a lung lung strengthener. Yeah, sure. So that's how I I think of it. I I I think that you know. So I don't know how much research has been done on it, and it's probably if there's research that has been done on it, I haven't I haven't necessarily seen it. Maybe it's a topic that I could do a whole video there, on. There's actually there's actually research being done on it right now. Um, <clears throat> I only oh, know because okay. like, I, I listened to a podcast not long ago about the same topic, mm-hmm. um, and they were they were talking. The, the guy that was uh, like the guest speaker on the podcast was was talking about his studies that he's currently conducting, basically related. Did to he this. seem Did he seem optimistic about it or no? Um, or was yeah, he because in- I mean, I mean, it was his. I like you know he he had the the hypothesis that you know that led to doing the study. Um, okay. And his hypothesis is if you improve your lung capacity, like your lung, you know, if you strengthen your your lung muscles and you can take in more oxygen, then in theory you should be able to uptake more oxygen. Okay, um, so here's here's what I'm going to theorize, and I'm not saying that this is the correct answer, but this is my theory, and this is not a this is also not a theory that I'm just pulling out of my butt right now this is like a theory that is based on my like exercise physiology education so in exercise physiology we learn about what the limiting factors to aerobic performance are and while you may think that your oxygen your lung capacity is it is a is um a limiting factor like you would think that having a greater lung capacity and being able to breathe in more oxygen to to your lungs would be important for aerobic sports they've actually 
like they've actually found that that's not necessarily a limiting factor unless you've got like some sort of lung condition or lung disease where you're like severely constricting your lungs. Um, the amount, the amount of air you can breathe into your lungs is not necessarily a limiting factor for aerobic performance. And, and if that is, but the 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 limiting factor is, is what your body's ability to take that oxygen. The limiting factor is, your body's ability to uptake that op- oxygen. And so your lungs need to uptake the oxygen when it's in the lungs. And then your muscles need to uptake, <laughs> utilize that oxygen when it, it gets carried through. And then your blood, your blood needs to have enough red blood cells in order to carry this oxygen to the muscles. And then when it gets to the muscles, you need to have enough capillary density in order for all this oxygen to actually get into the muscle if that makes sense. So there are limiting factors. Um, and those limiting factors are, have more to do with, uh, your cardiovascular system than they do your lungs. If that makes sense. Aren't your lungs a part of your cardiovascular system? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's kind of, it kind of depends on how you define cardiovascular system. It's like, Mm. it's like depending on what you're including, right? I I guess Mm. when I said cardiovascular system, I'm talking about your heart and blood and and your blood blood vessels and your, and your arteries and your veins and your capillaries. Mm, Actually, your lungs are part of your respiratory system. Yeah, you're right. Sure. I mean, there, there are parts of your lungs that are part of the cardiovascular system, but uh, basically like dealing like basically what you're saying is like, unless you're, unless you're utilizing 100% of the oxygen, you know, or air that you're able to breathe in, mm-hmm. then air volume is not the limiting factor, which is, is kind of yeah, what you're saying. So right. Let's say, exactly. you, say you're only taking, you know, you're only able to utilize 70% of the air that you're, that you're breathing in, mm-hmm. then increasing your air volume, you're still going to be only be able to use, utilize, well, actually now you're probably use like, utilize like 65%. Um, sure. Cause you're taking mm. in more, but you're not able to utilize more. Sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, and granted, I was in, (laughs) like, I took exercise physiology in 2015. So we're at, we're, it's 2022 now. Like I'm not, you're so old. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) But, but what I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is that like science, science can progress in, in, you know, seven years. And I'm not, I'm not saying like, again, I'm not saying this is the correct answer, but, but, we like what we learned in exercise physiology was that your lung volume and the amount of air you physically breathe in is not a limiting factor to aerobic performance. If that is the case, then I don't see how training your lungs to be able to breathe in more air, either through one of these lung training devices or by holding your breath. I don't see how that would actually improve your performance. Yeah. So, (laughs) and especially, so in this case here, so I know Ken, um, Ken is a very highly trained athlete. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, he, he, he's already trained his <laughs> lungs to be quite strong. Like he, there's, there's no way that, it, you know, that there's like a lung strength or lung capacity deficit for him. Um, maybe sure. if you're like brand new to exercising in general and you're like constantly out of breath, like, I don't know, doing some kind of breathing exercises could be beneficial initially, Um, but I, but you know, the, the more trained you get, the more efficient you become at, at, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, breathing in, you you know, reaching your, your lung capacity, I guess, when you're breathing in during exercise. If you want, 
I looked up these devices. It's on Amazon. It's called it. It's called an expand a lung. <laughs> yeah. So that's probably that's like the knockoff. That's, that's yeah. So, that's so what it's called. Expandalung. Thirty dollars. The study that I was listening to, they were using those types of devices. So it wasn't just breathing exercises. Like there, there was a device involved. Um, yeah. I mean, you know what? You know what this could be useful for is like deep sea swimming? diving or something, or like mm-hmm. free diving. You know what I mean? Uh, I think I think free divers actually do breathing exercises in order to improve their lung capacity because that is that's like an activity where the amount of air that you can physically get into your lungs is a limiting factor because you need to get as much air into your lungs as possible before you do that dive and then you need to and then you're going to utilize all of it before you have to come back up and get more air you know what i'm saying yeah and interesting enough they say that like when you hold your breath and you're you know, you've reached a point where you can't hold your breath anymore. The limiting factor is not that you've run out of oxygen, but it's that you need to clear the CO2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you yeah. think about it, if you hold your breath and then like the first thing you do is like you exhale actually before you suck in more oxygen. Yeah. 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 I like that he's starting to think about like, could this make me mentally tougher? Does, doesn't he mention that in the, in the thing? Yeah. yeah if so there was any a, benefit, is there, if there's any benefit to this, I feel like that would be where it is. Is like, yeah, so, so not during like, training though, but just yeah, like, but if you're just I would also sit, argue that like you get that same effect from like interval training though. Yeah. Yeah. Like the reason like, the VO2 max workout is so hard is because like by the end, like you can't, you can't breathe. Like you, like you're, you're breathing would, so heavy. I would be very interested to see whether, doing painful things that are not related to cycling like uh like i don't know just like you know just like torturing yourself in ways that are not cycling related yeah like getting, uh, getting a tattoo yeah dude getting a tattoo freaking hurts <laughs> no, it a, get one on your chest it hurts dude. Get one on I, your ribs. I i believe right down it, your sternum oh it I, I believe it it it's it hurts a surprising amount and I, the reason I say surprising is because I feel like so many people have tattoos and I just like, I'm just, when I got the first tattoo, I was just like, how did all these people sit through this? This is insane. Maybe I my- thought, <laughs> me and you should go to a tattoo parlor and have a challenge. See who, <laughs> Adam might have to get this out. I've heard that the most yeah, this is getting so spot, off track right I've now. heard the most painful <laughs> spot to get a tattoo is right on your nipple. And we should just go yeah, I believe and see it. who could sit through that the longest. I mean, I could think of some areas that I theoretically would be more painful than that, but like what about like the bottom of your foot or something? Dude, apparently your foot hurts or the, a lot. Or the top of your foot, yeah. Yeah. Okay, apparently. this is this is getting way off topic. Anyways, back to the back to the pain <laughs> tolerance. Mental training. I like I think of this movie. I know we're bringing up all the movie references. I I love movies. I think but, of like, this I'm, movie. I don't even know what movie it was, but there was this like girl and she was a swimmer and she was like supposed to be like on vacation and she's just chilling in the hot tub and she was sitting there like kicking. You know, like mm-hmm. even on vacation she's training. So I, I always think about that scene and I'm like, so maybe Kenny P is like at his kids recital and he's sitting there just holding his breath for two minutes at a time to increase <laughs> pain tolerance like that's maximizing yeah. your that's maximizing but, but i i guess what i'm the the whole reason why i even brought that up is because i don't know whether it's true or not and i'm not saying that it's not true it, it very well might be true like it it would seem logical that it might be is i don't know whether doing painful things that are not riding your bike actually increase your pain tolerance on the bike or not mm. you know oh, what I i'm saying 100 so. getting I, I comfy so. 
getting comfy and the uncomfy, that is like a huge mm-hmm. mental side of things. That could I've that could just be think about like all the, the hardest see what dudes, dudes saying, and chicks though. you know. Like they're hard off the bike and they're pretty hard on the bike. Yeah. Every woman that races that's ever had a baby is just like, oh, like has that mom strength. That, that's, that's actually like very, very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of moms talk about that when they come back from a, after giving birth, um, that there, that there's like an improvement or increase in, in mental strength. Mm, I can see that. The, the chick who won Ironman world championships this year. Oh she, yeah. She's a, she's a mom. Yeah. And she like smashed. Is there such a thing smashed, as mom watch? We should start that mom watts. Why is Dad Watts a thing yeah, before dude. Mom Watts? Mom Seriously, Watts yeah. is so much bigger than Dad Watts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, they're I like actually, agree. yeah, okay. I feel like if anything, I, I mean, they, they they call him Dad Watts, but I feel, I feel, I feel like, like it's more like sympathy Watts. Like I feel like that's kind of a joke, right? <laughs> like It's not a joke. Also, <laughs> it's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> also, like I know that being a dad is going to decrease the amount of sleep you get and probably increase the amount of life stress that you have, which is probably not good for performance, but, but, but increases phys- overall in enjoyment of life as well. Don't leave that out. Sure. Yes. Uh, but I was going to say that actually they've shown that, that, uh, new fathers have decreased testosterone as well. Probably as where did the dad come from. Probably yeah. lack of You're sleep. You're like disproving the dad watts theory like altogether. I, I thought about I'm gonna come out I'm gonna come out with a video about the science of the dad watts. You should. It's gonna it's gonna be kind of a funny video. And based on what be. Dylan just said, there's zero science <laughs> to back up the dad I'm gonna, watts. Like it's gonna be a funny video where I make up a bunch of stuff. <clears throat> be pretty good. And then CJ can do one on the mom watts. Yeah, maybe she'll come in. Maybe she'll do the video with me. She'll just bust through the door and be like, bro, Get you have out no of idea here. what you're talking about. <laughs> Let me yeah. show you these mom watts. Let me show you these mom. Yeah, that would be a good one. Um, but I see, I do see where where Dylan is saying, like, like that even with our physical training, we don't just run because running makes us more fit. We ride our bikes because it makes us better at riding bikes. So I bet some of that does carry over to the mental side of things. Of like, oh, I could be really tough at like keeping my hand on a hot surface for as long as possible. But how much of that actually helps me? Uh, improve sure. the sensation of fatigue in my legs you know like sure and they they've yeah. actually this actually reminds me of a i think they've done research on on whether or not like elite level athletes are able to hold their hand in a in like ice water for longer than a normal person and they are hold a cold presser machine it's the only legal way you can induce pain upon people well there you go yeah. You may you may have read this study more recently than I have, but yeah, aren't aren't elite athletes able to hold their hold their hand like in a cold presser for oh, longer? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So and, the, and if you just give somebody a goal, like say, hey, can you right. hold your hand in here for this amount of time? They're gonna they're gonna outperform the people without a goal every time. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. but like the question <laughs> is like, is that coral? like correlation doesn't equal causation like mm. are these people naturally more inclined to better tolerate pain or have they trained their bodies yeah. to better tolerate pain like, yeah they've just trained their bodies yeah yeah for sure well, i'm what i'm saying is i don't know what the answer is you're saying you do <laughs> i think they've just trained their body like athletes know how to endure pain more than the average person for sure Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't think sure. pain tolerance and, and, and is and I, so, so I wonder genetic. if that translates to, um, like Dylan, you, you said the study was talking, was referring to elite athletes, but I wonder if just like the everyday mm-hmm. athlete has, uh, improved pain tolerance over the everyday non-athlete. 
they've even done studies on childhood develop or childhood development like at what like with the same kind of idea like pain tolerance who mm-hmm. who can tolerate the most pain when they as an adult but based on their how they were raised as a kid and the people who were you know yeah plush uh, when they were kids <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah yeah so the kids who were on the very end of like they had a hard life and the people at the very high end of they had a really easy life as a kid on both ends of the spectrum, those people perform less than the people right in the middle where they did have to overcome some adversity, but they, it wasn't a hindrance to their life as well. Because if you get way down <laughs> yeah. on the spectrum and like people are so their life was so hard that they can't overcome anything, then their pain tolerance is really low. And on the right. other end, it's like they never even had pain. So but yeah, the people I mean, right in the middle, those are the people who have the highest sure. pain tolerance. There's I, a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of things in <laughs> physiology that are like that where there's a sweet spot right? Yeah. Yeah. So for like, I'm, I'm doing this video on testosterone right now and I'm doing research on testosterone. Like if you are, if you are Caesar, if you are Mm. sedentary and overweight, you will have lower testosterone. And if you are an elite athlete who exercises a lot and diets really hard, you will also have low testosterone. Like if you want to have peak testosterone, you should exercise a little bit and just be a healthy weight and have a generally healthy diet. If that makes sense. Dude, that, there you go. That's where the dad watts comes from. <laughs> you increase weight a little bit. You decrease oh, your training. Now you get some dad watts because you get that extra testosterone boost. Hey, mm-hmm. seriously, on the dad watts, though, there was a local guy, Josh Johnson, who had a kid. And the year after he had a kid, he had the best year of cycling. He won almost every crit he entered. It was I, amazing. I, I do wonder if there's there's people who maybe like... The message to dad says, I won't send it. <laughs> Siri just thought I talked to her. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I do wonder if there's people who maybe they like before they had a kid, they just lived in a constant state of overtraining. Like they never gave their body any rest. They were just constantly like living in a fog of overtraining. And then having a kid actually forced them to take some rest and it actually helped their performance. Yeah, that's what it was. It was uh newborns you, don't sleep. <laughs> well, it didn't it didn't <laughs> force them it didn't force them to sleep. What it forced them to do is not ride not their tr- bike. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what uh. happened to him. He it was it was also the year after he graduated college and in college he was forced to race <laughs> mountain, cyclocross and road all throughout the year and then the year after he graduated and had a kid all he yeah. was doing was road racing so he could focus in and not overtrain. So, yeah, that's probably mm-hmm. part of the equation. We're way off topic now. Dude, oh, yeah. we, we were 42 minutes in and we've answered two questions. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that's all we're going to get to on this episode. So we, oh, yeah, I have to be somewhere to in five this. minutes. Yeah, we're going to have to keep this, this going. Yeah. We've yeah. got one, two, three, four. We haven't even gotten got to any of my questions. <laughs> wow. I know. And a couple I mean, more at, this, at this rate, six more questions is three more episodes. Yeah, seriously. Hey, that's good. We're going deep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Well, thanks, guys. We'll catch you next week. See ya. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title, the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch y'all soon. Let's go.
I've never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator. This is where the coach comes into the picture. Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand in hand, and it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today. Ignition Coach Co., developing coaches, connecting athletes.